Amen. How many of you that are past the age of 30, um, <laughs> remember your early 20s? Like, I remember them. There's certain parts of it I wish to forget, but um, I remember them. And in my early 20s, I had this need in my life, and it was to go fast was to go fast. Uh, no matter what I was driving or riding, uh, I tested its limits. And uh, uh, John can understand what I'm talking about. We have a kindred spirit in that part. Um, I just, I like, uh, I, I don't know, maybe that's why I jumped out of airplanes eight times just to go fast in different ways. Um, and I know it's insane, but, you know, uh, falling, they say it's flying. It's not. It's falling. Uh, falling at 120 miles per hour is, uh, is a pretty cool feeling, um, as long as the chute opens. And then, you know, once the chute opens, you're like, I made it. I can do it again. But uh, I, in my, I, I guess I was <clears throat> 20, right at 20 when I bought a motorcycle. And... Um, I had the opportunity to buy a cruiser, or I could have bought a moped, but no, 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 not me. I bought the fastest thing in the in the bike shop, and uh, or one of the fastest things. And so, um, for the next several months, every time I got on that motorcycle, uh, there was one desire, and that was to see that needle go as far to the right as I could possibly get it. And I did many, many, many times uh, to the point of, of tempting fate and tempting God. And uh, it's only by the grace of God as I was being a knucklehead. And I'm sure he was looking down on me going, not again. You will never learn, boy. And uh, I realized something one day. We were, me and my cousin, uh, he was my bad influence to buy a motorcycle. Um, I blame him. But uh, me and my cousin, we, he called me. He's like, hey, man, let's go, uh, let's go check out this place. And I was like, okay. So he pulled into my driveway, and I jumped on my motorcycle, and we took off. And uh, we, we were, I, just, I lived right off the interstate. And so we hit the interstate, and from where I live to Nashville, was a speed limit drive about 35 minutes, driving a speed limit down I-40. And um, we made it in 13 minutes. So needless to say, we were smoking. We were driving really fast. At one point, I looked down, and the uh, speedometer was, was bouncing between 130 and 135, and uh, my heart was racing as fast as the motorcycle was going, or probably faster. And uh, in that moment, I realized something. As I was driving that fast, and I don't, uh, let me throw this disclaimer out, okay? I don't recommend ever doing that, especially since we got a couple cops in the building. Don't ever do that. The Lord has forgiven me of breaking the laws of the land. And so I try to obey them as much as I can. Um, but anyways, as I was driving 130, 135 miles an hour, 
on, on, on this bike, and, and um, it was the kind of bike that it was a street bike, and so you're laid down like this, and, and you're, you're almost kissing the middle of the handlebars, um, and as I was just flying down that interstate, I realized everything that was on my right and on my left was just a big blur. When you're driving that fast, the only thing that really is clear is what's in front of you. Everything else is this incredible blur. And telephone poles literally look like a picket fence. I know you hear that saying, but it's true when you're going that fast. And the striped line on the interstate looks solid. And, and all of these things, as I was driving that fast, and um, the roadside was blurred in my vision. And I realized as I thought about this that the danger is if we go through life at warp speed, there are certain opportunities that we're going to miss. If we go through life at such a, a speed that everything else gets blurred around us. There are going to be some opportunities. There are going to be some blessings. And there are going to be some promises that we are going to miss that God desires to bless us with. Because I was not made to live life at full speed. We were not made to live life as fast as we live it today. We are just following in the footsteps of society that says accomplish as much as you can, as quick as you can. Forget who you leave behind. Forget what passes by. Forget the missed opportunities and the missed things. Just go as fast as you can to accomplish as much as you can because you only have one life to live. That's a lie. That's a lie. There's a book that a lady wrote called The Missing Piece. And in this book, it's, it's a children's book. It's kind of a deep children's book. I read it and I was like, wow, <laughs> I would not have got that at eight years old. Um, but anyways, uh, it's a children's book. And the, the, the drawing and the artwork is simply with a pencil. There's no color in it. It's just writ, uh, written very simply with and, and it's just a line for a road and a circle or a sphere. And this circle is missing something. It's, it's missing a section of it. It's like a like envision a pie that's got a piece of pie, a pecan pie, a beautifully, wonderfully made pecan pie. And it's got a, a big piece missing because I ate it. And, uh, but, and so envision that. And, but this, it, it's rolling and because of this missing piece, it doesn't roll really fast. And so it, it, it rolls and it rolls. And as it's rolling, it, it, it stops to talk to a worm. And, and then it stops to smell a flower. And then as it's rolling, a butterfly comes and lands on it. And, oh, it's so wonderful how everything is happening but it's singing this song about finding its missing piece. Well, then on through the book, it comes upon a, a part of the book where it finds this piece that looks like it'll fit. And it, it fits into the missing section of this sphere or this circle. 
and away it rolls. And it realizes that as it rolls, it starts moving faster because now there's nothing slowing it down and it rolls and it goes faster and faster and faster and faster and it realizes that as fast as it's going and as smooth as it's rolling it's missing some things it's missing the opportunity to stop and talk to a worm it's missing the opportunity of stopping and smelling the flowers you know that saying stop and smell the roses it's missing the opportunity to allow a butterfly to land on it because it's moving so fast. And it realizes really quick that, you know what? I miss those things. I miss having the ability to stop and talk to a worm or stop and smell the flowers or let a butterfly land on me. And in our relationship with God, there are going to be some roadside opportunities. There are going to be people on the roadside of life that if I'm going so fast through life, if my speed of life is at pegged out as fast as I can go, that I'm going to miss an opportunity to make an impact in somebody's life because all I've got my eyes set on is getting where I'm going and going as fast as I possibly can. And there's going to be some promises that God wants to bestow upon us. There's going to be some opportunities to stop and, and, and enjoy the beauty of God and, and the beauty of his creation around me. But if my life is just go, 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 I'll miss those opportunities to stop and enjoy what God has put in my life. And as a parent of two small girls, age eight and eight, six, I realized the importance of time spent with my children. And I could spend my time and my wife could spend her time uh, of, of trying to do everything we can from sunup to sundown to make another dollar. And be that as it may, we would miss the things that God desires to do. And when my children are grown and gone, I wonder why don't I have the relationship with my kids that I really desire? It's because I allowed life to set the pace for me. I, allow, I allowed the pursuit of success and the pursuit of the almighty dollar to set the pace of my life. And because I've been seeking and pursuing something that can never be caught, I allowed opportunities and, and, and privileges and promises and blessings to pass me by, and I never truly stopped to see them. And so... It brought me to this. Psalms chapter 37. And David wrote, and, and you've heard this verse. It's a very familiar verse. It says, the steps of a good man. You can throw ladies in there. Basically means person, of a good person. It's not just the men. <clears throat> the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. 
and he delights in his way. Though he fall, you see, the thing is, though he fall is a statement of fact, not a statement of maybe. <laughs> though he fall, we're all going to fall. He said, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I like this, the way he puts it in the English Standard Version. It says, the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. You see, the thing is, and the title of this message is keeping pace. Keeping pace and what it is, is when I allow Jesus to establish my steps. When I allow Jesus to set the pace of my life. and Because if I'm allowing him, and, and it goes back to being a Christian. What is a Christian? It's somebody that's trying to be like Jesus. And we talk about and we sing about and we and, and, and about Jesus being the center of my life and being a follower of Christ. And I'm a follower of Jesus and he's leading my life and he's directing my life. Well, if that's true, then that means he's establishing the pace of my life. And when he stops, I stop. And when he moves, I move. And when he where he goes, I follow. But you see. What happens is the pressure of life gets to us. Come here, Chad. And you see, the, the, th the thing is, is, turn around. There's a, this way, there you go. There's a thing called, if, if you're into NASCAR or anything like that, you like watching racing, there's this thing called the pace car. And you know what the pace car does? It sets the pace, that if the pace car is on the track and the other cars that are in the race decide to pass the pace car, they're disqualified because the pace car is there to do one thing and one thing only, set the pace. If we're truly following Jesus, then we're allowing him to set the pace of our life. And so when he stops, I stop. When he goes, I go. Where he turns, I turn. When he speeds up, I speed up. When he slows down, I slow down. You know what happens is, is life gets pressurized and it starts pushing on us. We start, come on, Jesus, come on, come on. And, and, and pride gets in the way and says, you know what, I, I can get there faster if I just go my own way. And, and, and Lord, I know, I know you've established my steps, but, but I can get there a lot quicker if we'll just do this. And in our arrogance and in our pride and our ignorance, we, we, we step out from behind and under his covering. And we start allowing life and success and pursuit and all these other things to set the pace of our life. But when nothing's in front of me restricting my pace, all I'll ever do is put the pedal to the metal and I'll go as fast as I possibly can. And when I'm going that fast, I have no control.
I was living in Alamogordo, New Mexico. Little dump of a place. Lord, forgive me. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> it just, there's nothing there, man. I was living in Alamogordo, New Mexico, and a friend of mine, there's an Air Force base there, so, you know, we'll give it that. Um, so, Holloman Air Force Base is there, and a friend of mine that was, that was uh, there at, at that Air Force Base, and he was training, and he had this little car. It was a Mazda Miata convertible. It was as big as a, I don't know, as his or Mallory's now, a little Prius out there. And I actually, actually smaller than that. That thing was, I mean, I got in it, and I immediately got claustrophobic. But one day he was like, hey, you want to you go? Let's, let's go out for a ride, a drive. I was like, okay, let's go. And so we, <clears throat> we took off. Now, out there in New Mexico, you've got roads. because I mean, it's dead flat. I mean, it's mountains and then just dead flat. And there, there were some roads that were leading to some of the Air Force gates out way off. It's out there where the White Sands Missile Range is where they test missiles and they tested the first atomic bomb and all that stuff. It's, it's a pretty cool place. Um, but anyways, and so there's roads that are like 10 miles long, and there's not a bump or a curve in them. I mean, they're as straight as an arrow. We're like, hey, let's go out there and drive. So we did, and I asked him, I said, hey, man, let me drive this Miata. So I got in, and I mean, I did what I do. I started going fast. <laughs> and the faster I went, man, it was like, man, that car was just buzzing, just and we got over 100, and we hit about 110. And the weirdest thing happened when I hit about 110, that Miata. I realized that the steering wheel was starting to float a little bit. And I was like, okay, this could be a problem. But did that stop me? No. And so I just, I man, I kept it pegged. We, I think I hit 115. I don't remember. But as we were riding in that little Miata, I realized that we were going so fast. And that car doesn't weigh nothing. And the front end started. The air was pushing so much up under the front end of that car that the tires were barely, the front tires were barely even touching the road. So I could almost turn the wheel this way. And it wouldn't even make a difference because that's how much the front end was floating. And when that realization hit me, <laughs> my life flashed in front of my eyes. Might want to slow down. So I went back down to 90. You know, be safe. Be safe. You got to be safety first. But, you know, it makes me think about our life because this world will push you the pursuit of, of temporal things. I'm going to talk to you lady, you young ladies here because you're high school, college. In your life, the pursuit of success and the pursuit of things will push you so fast that you'll get to the point where you lose all control of your life. And the thing that you've, that's been pushing you will then step in front of you and control you. And so make sure 
that you don't pursue something so badly that you step out from behind the one who should be setting the pace of your life, and that is God. And that goes for every single one of us. Amen. That goes for every single one of us, that as we pursue success, and I'm not denouncing success. I, I think we ought to all be successful. I think we all ought to pursue uh, uh, making, uh, being prosperous for our family. And, and there's nothing sinful and, and wrong about that as long as that doesn't set the pace for your life. As long as we're not sacrificing the things of God for the things that I'm pursuing in my life. Because if life sets the pace, then I will get out of control, and I'll lose sight of what God wants to do, and I'll pass people by that he wants to put in my life, and people that he wants to put me into their life. I'll, I'll go right by them because the, the pace of my life has got so out of control because it's no longer in his control. When my life is no longer in his control, chaos begins to happen. Fear begins to happen. Doubt creeps in. Guilt creeps in. All of these, the doors swing open wide, and the enemy says, yes, yes, yes. I, that's exactly where I want you. Just go faster and faster and faster because he understands the faster we go, the more out of control we get. Because God is not a God of speed. He is a God of control. He is a God of balance. Amen. And so I've got to allow him to establish the pace of my life. And when I walk at his pace, it becomes easier to fulfill his purpose. If I'm not walking in his pace, I cannot fulfill his purpose. And why are we here? Why have we been saved? Why have we been filled? Not to just reach salvation, but to fulfill his purpose here on earth. And if I'm going to the pace of my own life, then I will not fulfill his purpose. I've got to make sure that I'm letting him set the pace for my life. The children of Israel experienced this. And he set a precedent in this very thing that is still alive and true for us today. In Numbers chapter 9, Verse 15, he said, on the day that the tabernacle was set up, he said, the cloud covered the tabernacle. So there was this pillar of cloud, the tent of the testimony. And at the evening, it was over the tabernacle, like the appearance of fire until morning. And so what, during the day, it was this pillar of cloud, and at night, it was a pillar of fire. And it was a signal that the pre that's where the presence of the Lord was. And so it was always, the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Now watch this. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that, the people of Israel set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. So this is what happens. Keep that verse up. I'm, I'm, I'm going to continue. This is what happened. They're camped. As long as the cloud stayed put, they sat there. 
But when the cloud moved from here to there, they realized it's time to go. You know why? Because the children of Israel understood this. I don't ever want to be out of the presence of the Lord. Wherever the presence of the Lord is, that's where I want to go. I, they, they understood the principle of allowing the spirit and the presence of the Lord to set the pace of my life. And so in ver- continuing on, he said, at the command of the Lord, the people of Israel would set out. And at the command of the Lord, they would camp. What he's saying is at the command of the Lord, they would stop. And at the command of the Lord, they would get up and go. And he says, as long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. Even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days, the people of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was there a few days over the tabernacle. And according to the command of the Lord, they remained in camp. Even when they wanted to move, even when life uh, caused a, a, a stirring and they thought, oh, I've got to go, i got to go, i got to go. No, the presence of the Lord hadn't moved, so I'm not going to move. The Spirit of the Lord hasn't moved, so I'm not going to move. When the Spirit moves, I'll move. When the Spirit stays, I'll stay. I want the Spirit of the Lord to set the pace of my life so that I remain under his covering and I remain under his protection. And he says, sometimes the cloud was there a few days and according to the commandment, they remained in camp and then according to the command of the Lord, they set out. And sometime the cloud remained from evening until morning. And when the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out. Or if it continued for a day and a night, When the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether it was two days or a month or a longer time that the cloud continued over the tabernacle abiding there, the people of Israel remained in camp and did not set out. Why? Because they desired to be in his presence. Because in his presence, I can fulfill his purpose. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. In his presence, there is freedom and liberty. In his presence, there's miracles. In his presence, the supernatural happens. In his presence, there's blessings and there's promises. And his word is spoken in his presence. And you see the children of Israel experience the time without his presence talked about it Wednesday night. They, they camped at the foot of Mount Sinai. And Moses gets called up to the mountain. And as Moses gets called up to the mountain, the entire glory of God goes up with him. And so now, for the 40 days that Moses stays up in Mount Sinai, the children of Israel are camped in a place outside of God's presence. And because they were outside of his presence, they got weary and they got troubled. And they started looking around and they started realizing, hey, hey, we got to do something. We've got to do something. We've got to do something. 
This isn't, we're outside of his presence. We've got to do something. And they, so they told Aaron, who is supposed to be a leader and who is supposed to be following God. And they said, hey, hey, Aaron, why don't you take all of our jewelry and melt it and make us golden images? And Aaron feeling, falling uh, to the peer pressure of the people and, and, and deciding to, to, pleasure, uh, to please the people rather than to please God. He collects all of their jewelry. You see what's significant about the jewelry? Is God gave it to them. You know when he gave it to them? On their way out of Egypt. They said when, after, the, after the Passover... Pharaoh said, get out. I'm tired of this. Get out. And God told the children of Israel, I want you to take everything. And as they were leaving, the Egyptians just gave them stock. They gave them animals. They gave them food. They gave them jewelry. They just dumped it on them. And the very thing God blessed the children of Israel with, they used to create a false God. Why? Because they were abiding outside of his presence. Outside of his presence is a dangerous place. Outside of his presence is a place where the enemy roams to and fro seeking whom he may devour. And that's why the scripture in the New Testament says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves. Why? Because in this place, we can entertain the presence of the Lord. But when I get outside of his presence, and I'm not praying daily, and I'm not worshiping daily, I'll learn to live outside of his presence. And when I'm outside of his presence for too long, I'll take his blessings and I'll use them as a false god and an idol in my life. And I'll take something that God meant for good and I'll allow it to be bad in my life, be a negative in my life. And something other than God will set the pace of my life. And then I'll sit back a month, a year, six years from there wondering where my life went wrong. And I'll always be able to point back to the place where I grew comfortable outside the presence of God. I cannot exist outside of his presence. I cannot because in my nature I am sinful. The law, no, no matter how long his spirit has lived within me, in my nature, I am sinful. And if I'm not abiding in his presence, then my sinful man is allowed to set the pace for my life. And this is why, as a pastor, I plead with you and I beg of you to stay faithful to the house of God. Why? Not so that I can count your head in some crazy uh, thing of, of, of accountability, but no, it's so that you can be in his presence. I want you in his presence. Why? Because I know in his presence, God can work in you. God can speak to you. God can heal you. God can fill you. In his presence. If I'll stay faithful 
in his presence. I thought about the things God, and I know I'm going a little bit long, but I thought about the things that God has has put in my life, and I wondered why God gave me certain weaknesses. And I realized, as God spoke to me about this message, I realized that my weaknesses and your weaknesses are not God's blind spots and His creative abilities. Your limitations are not there because God messed up or there was some problem with the assembly line. No, 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 that's not why they're there. That limitation may be in your life to act as a governor in order to keep us in pace with God and in line with God. Because if I didn't have that limitation, I may allow arrogance and pride to get in my life. And I may begin to think that I can do it better. And that's a lie of the enemy. Because the children of God understood if I'll follow where he leads, there's blessings there's promises. If Allah, when he gets up, I get up. When he sits down, that's why David said he makes me lie down in green pastures. Because it's in the place of green pastures that he restores my soul. Just ask Elijah. Elijah prayed heaven down from uh, fire down from heaven. If anybody could set their own pace, it'd be the prophet Elijah. But no, Elijah understood that even though I can pray fire down from heaven, and even though I can stand and hear a still small voice in, in, in the cleft of the cave, that I there comes a time where he he must cause me to stop. And so it was under a juniper tree when he begged for his life that God said, you stay right there. Don't you move a muscle. And my angel is coming. And my angel is going to feed you and water you and nourish you for two days. Because where I have you going, you're not strong enough yet. And we wonder why people get so sidetracked. And we wonder why people get so messed up. Because when I set my own pace, I'll enter into dimensions and I'll enter into areas and arenas that I'm not strong enough for and I'm not equipped for and I'm not prepared for. But when God sets the pace, he prepares me. And not only does he prepare me, but he goes before me. How did they get You ever asked that question? How did they get there? I have a cousin. He's a second cousin. God had gifted this guy. I mean, he's got the voice of an angel. I don't say that about men, but this dude does. He can sing. He can minister. Somewhere. I don't know if it was his talent. I don't know if it was his pursuit of success and fame. But somewhere along the way. He stepped out and decided that he could set the pace of his life better than God could. And a man that I've heard seen under the anointing and unction of the Holy Spirit and move people to altars and speak and feel, and, and, and you could feel God speaking through him, now doesn't even believe in heaven or hell. He doesn't believe that salvation is, is anything. He says, this, what we're here, what we experience as life is it. 
What hopelessness. How did he get there? Somewhere along the way, he quit letting God set the pace for his life. And I know there's probably somebody you know that's a very similar thing, but today I stand here. And God has been speaking to me. Because, well, let me say this. God's been speaking to me about his pace. And the reason he has is because uh, just yesterday, August 3rd, marked the day five years ago that Life City Church held its first service. God's been teaching me about his pace for his purpose over these last five years. And I remember five years ago as I stood before just a few people and I preached and as I preached I dreamed of incredible things. And I stood there in that hotel conference center with zeal thinking about what would take place here in this city. And my mind sped down the road one, two, three years, and I began to envision things that would take place. But today I stand here with a heart and a mind that simply wants to abide in His presence. A desire to walk at his pace so that we can fulfill his purpose. Because the truth be told, this is his church. I am his child. He is my king. He is our savior. He is your provider. He is your Rock of salvation, your joy, your healing, your deliverance, your refuge, your mighty God, your counselor, your everlasting father, your prince of peace, your king and your Messiah. That's who he is. And so if he is all of those things and so much more, Shouldn't you trust him with the pace of your life? Because in my dreams for this church, I, I saw bigger buildings and hundreds of children, people filling up every seat in a massive building. But I still see that today as I stand here. But you see, it's not about my dream for my church. It's about his dream for his church in order to accomplish his purpose. And in the few days leading up to this morning, I asked God some questions. I asked him, God, what is your dream for my life and my family? 
And then I asked him this question. What is your dream for Life City? And the strangest thing happened. He told me his dream. And I'll tell you this, that his dream has nothing to do with a denomination or a title. But it has everything to do with who and what we are. He's told me to tell you that his dream for this church is summed up in four things. And I don't know how to explain it other than to find it in Scripture in 2 Chronicles 7 and 14. I don't have it up here. He said, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. And God told me and God asked me a question. He asked me, he said, Tim Dunn. When was the last time you bowed your face before me to seek my face? And as he asked me that question, he told me to ask you, when was the last time that you bowed your face in prayer and you made an altar somewhere and you bowed your face and began to seek the face of God? When was the last time you allowed him to slow you down long enough to cause you to bend a knee as Daniel did in the face of the lion's den and say, God, here I am. When was the last time you allowed him to set the pace where you truly began to seek him? Because in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, he says, pray without ceasing. You see, the first thing that he spoke to me about his dream is that his people would be prayerful. His desire for this church is to be people that will pray. That will not be ashamed to call upon the name of the Lord. I don't care what people say about this church, but this one thing I want them to say, that church knows how to pray. I asked God, God, what's your dream for this church? He said that every single time, on every single service, that there would be an altar full of people seeking my face. You wonder why I ask and I invite you at the end of a sermon, at the end of a message, at the end of a service to step out from where you're standing and come up around here. It's not, it's not for anything that has to do with me because I look back throughout Scripture and I see Abraham building altars and the reason for the altars was to seek his faith. And I look through and I see Moses building altars and I see David building altars. And the reason those men built altars was to seek the face of God. I wonder where and when 
was the last altar that we bowed ourselves in front of to seek his face. Because let me tell you, I've watched my entire life, lives being changed in a position of prayer at an altar. I've watched as teenagers have received the call to mission fields in this position at an altar. I've watched as men and women have knelt in a position just like this. And I've watched as God has healed their marriage because they found a place, an altar to seek His face. I can sit here for hour after hour telling you about miracle after miracle because somebody, somebody loved Him enough to come to an altar. It's not made of brick. It's not made of stone like Abraham. But it's a place dedicated to seek his face. You see, the altar holds a personal place for me. Because when I was nine years old, it was at an altar just like this, kneeling down with three of my friends, that God baptized me with His Holy Spirit. And some years later, when I was 25, and I had stepped out from behind God, and I had began to set my own pace that a pastor stepped into my life. He grabbed me by the shirt collar, not figuratively, but he probably would have. And he set my place back behind the Lord. And in a church service, at 25 years old, I made my way down to the front of that church. It was a different carpet. It was a different building. But the altar was the same. And I kneeled at that altar and I asked God to take me back. And just like the prodigal son, he stood there with arms wide open, welcoming back into his family. So you see these places. Why do I worship up here in pace? You know why? Because this, no matter the building, no matter the color of the carpet, this has been a place where I've had some of my most intimate times with God. A place at an altar. His dream for this church is to be prayerful. Jesus said in Matthew 21, 13, my house shall be a house of of prayer. He continued and he said, my dream for Life City is to be a place where I out, where I pour out my spirit. You see, 
this altar it's not just a place it's it, it's it doesn't have a sign that says sinners only that's not what this is about and i don't know what the front of the church was or is from the whatever background you have all i can speak of is what god's dream is for this church and he wants this place in our worship through the preaching and through the response of His people to be a place where His Spirit is poured out. He wants this to be another upper room every time we come together. That's why the Scripture tells us where two or three are gathered in His name. He says, I'm going to be right in the middle of it. He continued and he said, I want my dream for Life City is for every person in that church that calls themselves a disciple to make a disciple. You see, that empty seat, I want you to look at an empty seat. Cody mentioned it. Cody talked about what Matt Tuttle, the preacher, Friday night, pastors down in Vider, Texas. There's 37, I believe, 37,000 people in that stadium. And he talked about praise and he talked about worship. He talked about how excited they are for how many people were there. And I'm sure you guys were there. It was incredible. The sound that 36, 37,000 people can make worshiping God is probably life-changing. I hope it is. But he said, I wonder if you can praise him for the empty seats, for the 20, 30,000 that weren't there. You see, that's God's purpose is that every single one of us will take it on ourselves to say, I'm going to find somebody for this seat. I'm going to find somebody, and I'm going to talk to them about Jesus. And when they ask, where can I find this one named Jesus, I'm going to bring them and I'm going to put them in a place, in a position, in an atmosphere, in an environment where they can experience Him. You know why? Because God is not satisfied with this many empty seats. You know how I know? Because He's not satisfied. He wasn't satisfied when you weren't in the one you're in tonight, today. Jesus spoke a parable about leaving the 99 for the one. His dream for Life City 
is that every single one of us would take it on ourselves to make a disciple. To find an empty seat and say, that empty seat is my responsibility. I'm going to find somebody to fill it. That's his dream. That's his dream. And the last thing he spoke was about worship. As you stand with me. And I know I've went long, but I've got to empty my heart today. He said, I want you to tell my people that the thing I desire most is their worship. He said, because I told John, my servant John, I told him about it. He, I inspired him to write about it in the fourth chapter of his book. 23rd verse, he said, For the Father seeks such to worship Him. But you see, what's happened is we've allowed culture and religion and the nominal restraints to silence our worship. That worship doesn't have to be this crazy thing. I don't know about you, but when I read about God's servant David dancing before the Lord with all his might, I wonder. I wonder what has caused us, what has silenced our worship. God spoke to me this. He told me, he said, I want you to tell, ask the people this question that I ask you. And he asked me, he said, Tim Dunn, when was the last time you danced before me with all your might? And I felt guilt hit me because I, I said, oh, Lord, it's been a long, long time since I've just lost myself in worship and begin to dance before you. And I know maybe somebody's here and in the back of your mind you're thinking that's not necessary. That's just emotion. And the preacher Friday night in St. Louis said it better than I could ever say it. If God didn't want to use your emotion 
to worship him, he wouldn't have given us emotion. You see, and he said it, and this is what God's been putting in my spirit. And there's religions out there, there's churches out there that preach and believe that we've got to sit on our hands and we can't make a noise and we can't be exuberant in our worship and we can't, we can't be expressive in our worship and our thanks to Him. We can go to a basketball game or a baseball game or a football game and we can go to a concert and lose our ever-loving mind, but for God, we've got to remain silent and shut up. That idea is not God's dream for this church. And so I wonder, when was the last time you truly lost yourself in worship? When was the last time that you began to dance before the Lord? with all your might and you didn't care what anybody thought and you didn't care what anybody said because you weren't there to please them but you were there to please Him and you were there to entertain His presence so there you have it that's his dream for this church. So the last thing I have to ask is are you willing to step into his dream and be who he's asked us to be and who he's called us to be and who he desires us to be Oh, yeah, it'll challenge your religious background. Oh, yeah, it'll challenge some denominal teaching. Yeah, it'll challenge some, some, some sanity, but it's not about what I think or what somebody else thinks. It's about am I pleasing God? And if you want to please God, you'll simply respond to His presence this morning. I ask you to close your eyes all over this room today. And you've heard what I've said and whatever sticks, sticks, whatever doesn't, doesn't. But I wonder if anybody is in this place that would be willing to step out of your seat and step into his dream his dream for your life his dream for you to fulfill his purpose <laughs> don't come up here because I invited you Come up here because you desire a place.